Hey, let's talk about being builders. It's been interesting to hear from a few of you as you've reflected on this sermon series. This idea that we're a builder is resonating with a number of us. We're not just alive. In any moment, in any moment, we always have the opportunity to build a life. We're not just in relationship. We always have an opportunity to build a relationship. We don't just go to church. We always have an opportunity to build community that becomes the church. This is how Jeremiah saw his calling. This is how the Apostle Paul saw his calling. Apparently, Paul was reading Jeremiah. Ultimately, Jesus sees himself in this way. He says to Peter, I will build my church. And in all of your building, whether it's your life or somebody else's life, in all of our building, as we strive to build the church beyond the walls of this facility, Jesus is doing what he promised to do. I will build my church. Jeremiah today, in the passage we're going to look at, is going to point to this how question again. How is it that Jesus builds in us? How is it that Jesus builds through us? He's going to point us to love and to the spirit of the master carpenter, to the Holy Spirit. So let's pull out our Bibles and uh, look at this passage. Probably one of the most significant passages in all of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. Um, let's read this in two parts. I'll start us and then I'll invite you to read with me. So I'd love it if everybody could open up a book or stand next to somebody who's got it. Jeremiah 31, page, on, uh, page 641 of the Pew Bible. I'll read the first four verses of the chapter and then invite you to join me on the second page reading verses 31 through 34. When we're done reading together, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen closely. You're hearing and reading God's word. This is a part of the book of Consolation, and the Lord now is speaking through Jeremiah. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel, again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Let's flip, flip the page there. And if you're able, would you stand with me? We'll read Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34 on the right-hand side under the heading New Covenant. Key passage. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord. 
for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. You might flip back there to verse 31. We'll talk about this a little bit together. A child psychologist had a building project. He was rebuilding his driveway, and he had just finished smoothing the wet coat of concrete when, of course, his kids went racing across, chasing a ball, and they left this uh, uh, stampede of footprints all in his fresh work. And it was too much for dad to take, and he lost control. He just kind of blew it in anger. And his wife had to come out and de-escalate him. She said, honey, just remember, you're a child psychologist. You love children. This is what you do. And he said, yeah, I love children in theory, but not in concrete. (laughs) Groan. Can we agree today that God's love is concrete? That he loves us in flesh and blood and his son, Jesus John, when he wrote his letter, he says, we declare to you what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, concrete love. And Jeremiah, in this passage, begins to explore what concrete love looks like. Three things, you won't be surprised. The first, a love that's concrete is a love that loves no matter what. Did you get that here in verse four? It's like God is saying, I'm not done building you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. He's saying, my love for you doesn't stop just because you've done things that break my heart. And there's this most beautiful of all passages, verse three. This would be your memory verse. Just take half of it. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. That second part could be also translated, I have drawn you in my loving kindness. I have drawn you. I've attracted you. The word also translates dragged. I have dragged you with my love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Now, this is remarkable if you think about the historical context. Let me just give you a a quick summary of it. These words of love are spoken to people who are living in rubble, the rubble of their own lives. They have trashed what God had been trying to build in their lives. They are now all in exile. They're in Babylon. They've committed uh, idolatry, immorality, injustice. It's literally torn God's people apart. The place where they, they could no longer give witness to the blessing of God in their midst just wasn't visible anymore. And they've been swept away by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're in exile and they're just grieving. Why did we do that? What have we done? It's interesting that Israel preserved the work of Jeremiah. Christopher Wright, the Old Testament scholar, said the thing you need to know about Jeremiah is while Jeremiah preached before the exile, his written word was read after the exile, in exile, by exiles. Why did they cherish and preserve God's word through Jeremiah when it could have been just considered like a record of their failure and guilt and shame? It was a record of that, but more importantly, it was a record of God's persistent love for those who are in failure and guilt and shame. God says, I I see it all. I know it all. I watched it all. It broke my heart, but I still love you. You're my people. I love exiles. I love failures. 
I love rebels. You cannot do anything that will keep me from loving you. And that's the good news of the gospel. This is who God is. This is his massive heart. God's not done with you. Verse two says, and I love this too, we found grace in the wilderness. Isn't that so true? Isn't that where you most find grace in the wilderness when you're in the rubble of your life and you've tried to do everything you can, you've come to the end of your resources and there's nothing left except there's God's everlasting love embracing you with grace. Remember your sins no more, your iniquity no more, it's gone before me. In, in uh, this section of Jeremiah, God has compared Israel to adulterers, and yet now he addresses them, oh, virgin Israel. <laughs> I mean, with me, it's like first love. And in the wilderness of their life, maybe now they're ready to receive that. There's an old Hasidic story about a disciple who asked the rabbi, why does the Torah tell us to place these words upon your hearts? Why does it not tell us to place these holy words in our hearts? And the rabbi answers, it's because as we are, our hearts are closed and we cannot place the holy words in our hearts. So we place them, so we place them on top of our hearts and there they stay until one day the heart breaks and the words fall in. We find grace in the wilderness. It's in my failure as a husband and as a father that God's love for me becomes so very concrete. And maybe you've experienced that too. One of my great mentors, Walt Gerber, pastored Menlo Park Presbyterian Church for 30 years. When he was a young adult, he suffered this devastating uh, divorce. It, it was an expression of his brokenness and her brokenness, and he thought early in his ministry, this is the end of my ministry, there won't be much. To... But in the context of that crisis and the rubble of his life, here he meets Jesus Christ all afresh, and he realizes that he hasn't gotten beyond the reach of God's everlasting love, and it was in that experience of grace that I would say actually his ministry didn't end, it was really there that it began because grace became something authentic for him in the midst of his sin and brokenness. It's like you were saying, Emily, it's, it's real. It becomes real in our broken places. Everlasting love, again, I will build you. That's concrete love. It's a love that loves no matter what. But then there's a second thing here. It's a love that's concrete, it's a love that works from the inside out. I will build you from the inside, God seems to be saying now to his people. Verse 31 says, I will make a new covenant. Do you see that in the second page? Down there, verse uh, 33, actually. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. This is a kind of internalization of the law. It was always supposed to be that God's law would be internalized, but now there's this new covenant coming in the last days, we read, where God will put... I will put, I will write. I'm not asking you to find some kind of external standard out there and, and try to bring it in yourself. I'm actually going to put it in there and then start to work it out there. New covenant. This is the only place in the Old Testament where you find that phrase, new covenant. This is a really important passage of Scripture. So what is the new covenant? What, 
Well, let's start with this. You got a Bible in your hands, and there are two parts of the Bible. You know, this is an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. That word testament's the same biblical word as covenant. There's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. The old covenant comes through Moses. The new covenant comes through Jesus. The old covenant anticipates the new. The new covenant fulfills the old. Uh, Both covenants have to do with love. Deuteronomy 6, the heart of the law says you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says love, and he quotes both of those verses. So there's, it's not a difference in love. Love is at the center. All of the law of God, all of the justice that comes, the transformation, the blessing is all summarized by the word L-O-V-E. But what's different is the medium. Notice Jeremiah emphasizes uh, not on, on, on uh, hearts of stone or tablets of stone. We, this, we heard this earlier read from 2 Corinthians. Remember the first covenant was written on tablets and it's thou, thou shalt not in the Ten Commandments. The second, this new covenant is going to be written on hearts. This internalization. And I'm now the one who's going to write it. Well, in time we find out that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. If you want to read more about this, you might read either what we read earlier, 2 Corinthians 3 or Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel's writing just after Jeremiah, they're contemporaneous. Uh, and the Lord says, I will put my spirit within you, my spirit within you. This is real change. This is where love's, God's love becomes concrete in our lives through the Holy Spirit, the, the, the resident agent of heaven who brings love, Jesus' love, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit's called. This is the age of the Spirit that we live in. That's what's different about the new covenant. Right now, we have access to the Holy Spirit. The question, though, is does he have access to you? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Zawadi and a couple of friends of ours, two, two weeks ago, we were on Vashon Island, and I did a dumb thing. I wasn't planning on telling you this story, but um, I broke a law, actually. There was a gate, and uh, it, it, um, it said no authorized, unauthorized vehicles, and we noticed that they had the, left the padlock unlocked in the gate, and so we pulled it up, we opened the gate, and we drove our vehicle down to the beach there in Mare, the Mare Island Reserve. The reason we did that is because we had Mike Gaffney, who was on crutches, and we wanted to get him to the... We thought, oh, I'm sure that they'll approve this. So we thought we'd be clever. We took the lock with us so that we couldn't get locked in. It was, seemed pretty smart at the time. Well, we went in, we drove down to the beach, and unfortunately, uh, the guy who was doing work in there who had left it hanging had another lock, so he locked us out and <laughs> locked us in, actually. And so there's my car, it locked in the, on Vashon Island, locked in this park. Felt like a complete idiot, and uh, I deserve it. And so I, you know, I had to write all this mea culpa. The only paper I had had said Senior Pastor, University Presbyterian Church on the letterhead. So I had to come clean and say, we broke the law, I did a bad thing. If you, can you please call my cell phone? <laughs> so the next day I worked it all out. But look, here's what happens. It was very uncomfortable to have the car on the other side of a fence. Um, I couldn't get out. And I wonder, here's, here's where I'm going with this. I wonder to what extent the resident agent of God's love in your life feels frustrated if you don't give him access, when I don't give him access. 
See, the Holy Spirit can do almost anything. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. The Holy, one thing the Holy Spirit will not do is override your will. You have to give the Holy Spirit access for that love to come in, to touch and to heal and to restore, and then for that love to go out as a resource, to be a conduit of what Jesus Christ is doing as he builds his church beyond the church. I sat with a graduate student several years ago and she was navigating the rubble of her own life and she wanted, you know, as a Christian, she wanted to talk and, and she, she knew, she was smart and she knew that there were a lot of arguments against the existence of God and when she looked at her life, the pain in her life seemed to be the only argument she needed and yet that she couldn't escape this vague sense that there was something out there that loved her, someone out there that loved her. There was a belovedness about herself that made her feel like her life was worth more than it seemed to be on its surface. And I said, that's God, loves you. And she said, I'm not sure I believe in God. I wouldn't know how to love God. She knew that we're supposed to love God with our whole heart. She said, I don't do that, I can't do that. I don't know how to love, I haven't seen this God. And I said, well look, love is a response. You don't generate it, it's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that transfers, that transmits the love of God into our hearts that renews and revives us with love. So give your faith, yourself, give your heart to Jesus. And the, over a series of, of weeks and months, she came to believe that she could trust Jesus and gave him her heart. And I could see the change working its way out in beautiful ways in her life already. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Spirit will bring love into your life. It's an inside job under the new covenant. God wants to work from the inside out. He's not saying, here's the external standard. This is my law. Try to internalize it. He's saying, open yourself, give access to my Holy Spirit, and then you'll see this, the beauty and the goodness of my law start to come out of the way that you live and touch other people as well. Thirdly, a love this concrete is a love that spreads through relationship. Here's how it works its way out through relationship. Notice the goal in verse uh, 34 the Lord says, uh, they shall all know each other. They shall, sorry, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. By the way, that phrase, least of them to the greatest, is a, an idiom that speaks of a whole community. It's a communal expression. Uh, so we're, now we have in mind a community of people. We shouldn't be surprised because in verse 1, Jeremiah spoke of all the families of Israel, all the tribes of Israel. Now, th these are communities. These are expressions of family. And the goal is that through these families, everyone would know me from the least to the greatest. One of the things that I hadn't expected when I planned this series is, is how I would end up wanting to reflect a little bit on on how it is that we as a church, as we move into this next season of our life together, can make the good news of Jesus credible and compelling to a culture that it largely isn't thinking about church at all. And Scott Gronholtz, our youth director, sent me a study just last, that was just released last week about Christian millennials. And there's a, there's a paradox here. Many of you are, are millennials. Listen to this. 96% of Christian millennials say that sharing their faith is a part of their faith. 90, almost, almost all millennials who are Christians say, yeah, sharing my faith is a part of my faith. <laughs> but 
47% of Christian millennials say it would be wrong to do so. <laughs> Almost half say, you know what, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that judgmental of my, of my unbelieving friends. So what are you going to do? You think that sharing your faith is a part of your faith, but you think, many of you, that it'd be wrong to do so because you know that a lot of your friends don't yet believe in Jesus. Well, I think the answer is not far from where Jeremiah is pointing us. We ought to build relationships that make love concrete. What would that look like? Just last week, I saw this news report on PBS NewsHour, and it's about um, kidney chain transplants. Have you guys heard of this? It's an economist who's developed this thing. So if you, if you have a, a loved one, someone in your family that needs a kidney transplant, you would give your kidney to them to save their life. But oftentimes, they're not the right match for you. And so this economist says, well, you know, there are lots of people who are in that situation. How about if you give your kidney to a stranger and that person's incompatible family member will give their kidney to another stranger and that person will give their kidney to, a, uh, to uh, and that person's loved one will get family member will give to an in, another person who's incompatible. So there are these now these chains. And as you watch this news report, like everybody's crying because they pull these people together who've never met each other and they've all, you know, just put kidneys down the line. What's happened is new families are, are being formed. And I just want like, oh my gosh. If when God gives me a new heart through the Holy Spirit, transplants my heart, and I begin to embody that love in this family that then reaches out to a stranger and says, your family too, if there isn't a chain reaction that begins to develop, and pretty soon God through the Holy Spirit is transplanting hearts left and right and forming a new family. This is how Jesus builds his church, through concrete love in community. One of you who is here this morning has not been coming to UPC that long, and uh, I asked you recently, so why did you start coming to church? And I love what you said. We said, well, it's because of a bar. This person said, I said, a bar? I said, yeah, I was at a bar, and there was somebody there who was drinking a martini from UPC. And he said, I had met her through Scouts, and what I liked about her is that she's very authentic. She seemed like the same person at Scouts, here in the bar, at work, and then I found out at church. I, because of my involvement with Scouts, this person said, I met a bunch of people who were just like her, just kind of so authentic and genuine. There was a community of people. He says, uh, it, was that, it was that community at Scouts that made Scouts, his language, throb like it's alive. And I found out there were, that, that this community was also the heart of a church. And before long, it became his church too. I think this man is a millennial. He's certainly a young adult, to me at least. I'm, I'm getting older and older. And, and I, think that's, I think that's exactly how the Holy Spirit does it through relationships that make love concrete. That's how you and I can share our faith in this current age. And you, know, you say, oh, I can't do that, George. I couldn't do that. Yes, you can, because you have the spirit of the master carpenter in you. Okay, that's what I want you to walk away with uh, today. God's saying to you, I am not done building you. I know you're not perfect. You're a work in progress. You are under construction. I'm ready whenever you give me access to build you from the inside out. Trust me with that. You'll begin to see. You'll love me more. You'll love your neighbor more. You'll love in a way 
that brings holiness into your life and justice into the society around you. Give me access and I'm ready to build community around you. So here's the practice this week. Two words, concretize love. I learned this from Ken Kirstead. Concretize, that's the word. We, we had to look it up. Concretize love means make love concrete. Find a way this week to make love concrete every day of the week. Now, let me give you three steps for this. First of all, you've got to give your heart to Jesus. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus, it's so simple. We, we all are praying for you. you. We want you to come to faith in Jesus today to say, Jesus, I trust you and I give you my life. All of us then have got to open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit, give the Spirit access. And that's not something you just, you have to ask. What am I withholding from you today? Am I giving you access to all of me? Second step is to pursue community. Uh, a few weeks ago, I asked you to engage a practice of spiritual friendship. How's that going? Are you praying with somebody? This would be a great time to join a small group. Lent, we try to build easy on-ramps in a small group for just six weeks, form a small group, but pursue community. And then the third step is look for a way to engage in some concrete love. Um, maybe that's a hug, a meal, a letter, a check, a shovel. We have a, week, we have a great opportunity this week to shovel our neighbors. Maybe it's a martini. I don't know. Something concrete you can do that day. And here's what I recommend. Take your watch, put it on your other wrist. Uh, if you don't wear a watch, put your, your phone in the wrong pocket. And that way, when you wonder what time it is, you'll go, oh my gosh, where's my watch? It's not there. And you go, oh, wait a minute, this is the week I'm concretizing love. And as you find out what time it is, you're gonna ask yourself, what can I do this day that will make love concrete for someone? And you can switch it back next Sunday. But for, 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 for six days, let's do this. You have the spirit of the master carpenter in you. Let's make love concrete. And I want to say just a, a few quick stories because you are doing it. I, I don't know if you heard me say, the first week we did this, the practice, one of our neighbors went out and did it and ended up delivering her neighbor's baby. Um, she is qualified to do that, but it wasn't, that was not the plan. The midwife got stuck in Viadoom. <laughs> and you, it's a call you never want to receive. But she went next door because she'd been intentional about it, delivered the baby. So that could happen to you if you let the Holy Spirit get access to her. I'm just telling you. <laughs> And then um, another one of you who was here in the earlier service today was on the Today Show because he and his wife went and broke bread with a Muslim couple just to build bridges. I mean, this is amazing. Let me tell you one other story. Another one of you in the room right now uh, named Anna prayed with your small group and said, I ha I'm really concerned about a neighbor who's a junior in high school who has lost both of her parents tragically in the last couple of years to two separate diseases. She's an only child, now she's an orphan. She's inherited the family home, which happens to be in your neighborhood. And she comes back to the house from time to time just to kind of connect with the family that she no longer has. It's tragic to take a nap in the house or just sit there and do her schoolwork. And so she's saying to her small group, would you please pray for this young girl? The next day, she's at Med Market and this girl steps out and stands right in front of Anna with a big smile on her face and says, hello. And so Anna writes me this email in which she says, it's like God was saying, yes, act. Because she had done that salt thing. We talk about acting as a practice. So I made the invitation. I would love to have you at our house for dinner regularly. I want you to come and hang out with us. What do you think? 
And she says, the smile and enthusiasm in her answer just melted my heart when she said, I would really, really love to. Isn't that it? That's Anna saying, I'm open to the Spirit. And that's this young girl saying, I don't know what this is, but I think I, think I might just meet the master carpenter who's building family in my neighborhood. In theory, love isn't worth much, but in practice, it's the greatest treasure in the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for coming in concrete ways so that those of us who are here with faith in Jesus can say, we know you. (laughs) We do know you. Thank you, more importantly, that you know us, you know all of us, even the broken parts, and it doesn't scare you away. We pray that you would reroute us in your inexpressible, inexhaustible, endless love. And that your Holy Spirit would so root us in this love that we would have a growing sense of its height and depth and width and that we would find ways of concretely expressing it in relationship with one another and with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.